Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I know you've been standing a while. Stand for just a bit, little bit longer and get your Bibles and open to the book of Galatians, the Old Testament book of Galatians chapter 5. And I hope you bring your Bible. Look, everybody's got an electronic device now. I mean, I've got them on my phone. And, uh, but I still like bringing, some of you bring your big, you know, hard copy Bible. I like that. That's cool. I like that. I like where you can move those pages. I got a Kindle, and I love reading my Kindle, but some books, I like having the pages because I want to write stuff on the margins. Galatians chapter 5, verses 4 through 10, and I've entitled this message, Going Back to Jesus. You'll understand that in a minute. Beginning at verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. That's what, that's what does it. You ran well, Paul said. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you, and that's God. A little leaven leavens the whole up. I love this verse. I almost left this verse out, and I realized this is the verse that matters. Paul said, but I have confidence in you. Man, I have confidence in you and in the Lord that you will have no other mind, that you're going to get this thing straightened out. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? You can be seated. Thank you. By the way, I'm doing good. And for if you're new to the church, I don't normally preach sitting down. But five weeks ago, tomorrow, I had a partial knee replacement. And I'm doing real good, as you can see. I'm walking without a cane and getting around. But uh, even the little bit of effort and things I've done today... That knee started swelling a little bit on me, so I'm going to sit and work today. You have a Pentecostal preacher sitting down, that's a miracle, because I'm usually all over the place, and I might be up before it's over. So the worst thing in the world is to read the Bible and not understand what's going on. And so it is a preacher's job to try to help you to understand what's going on. So let me set the table before we dine on the word. How about that? This book is entitled Galatians, but Galatia was not a city. Corinthians, Thessalonians, those two books, you know, there's actually four letters that Corinth was a city, Thessalonica or Thessalonica was a city, but Galatia wasn't a city. As a matter of fact, just do do a little mapping. I don't hardly ever do this. But here's a map of modern-day Turkey. Back in the day, it was called Asia Minor. And Galatia was not a city, but it was a region dead center in modern-day Turkey. And there were a number of cities there. As a matter of fact, Paul ministered in those cities. You can see the, the red line. That was Paul's missionary journey, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. So when Paul wrote this letter... He wrote one letter. Instead of writing a different letter to each church, he just wrote one letter and probably sent it to Antioch and said, read this, and then when you're done, take it over to 
Iconium and let the church there read it. And then when you finish, let take that over to Derby, to the church there, and let them, you get the point. So it was a letter for circular uh, purposes or circulation. And, and, and Paul had planted those churches. And so he writes this letter. Now, why did he write this letter? You know, we read these, we read these books of the Bible. Every one of them has a purpose. Why did he write this letter? This is very important if you're going to understand what I'm preaching today. Legalists who were called Judaizers. These were people that were Jews who had gotten saved but had been totally sold out to the Old Testament law. These people in the church started stirring up trouble in these churches and telling other saved people, look, we believe in salvation by grace through faith. All this that Paul's been preaching, we believe that, but that's not enough to be saved. You need to keep the Old Testament law, at least some of it. That's the only way you're going to be right with God. So you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the feast and I don't know whatever all the other things they said, but they started adding these things that God had delivered them from that did not matter anymore. All of those were types pointing to when Christ would come. Well, Christ had come, so that's why the Old Testament law doesn't pertain to us anymore, okay? Not the moral law, but all of those religious aspects of the law. They don't matter anymore. And now they're trying to integrate them back into the saving plan. And this obviously stirs Paul up because what they're saying is they've created a new gospel that is a gospel of salvation by grace through faith and works. And so Paul writes to warn the churches not to do this, not to put up with these people and to make a clear distinction between works and grace. And so I'm just going to stick with my notes because I kind of played the apostle Paul. And here's what I'm going to tell you that I think Paul would say to them if he was there. If you have opted for justification by works of the law, you're not saved. That gospel that you've created is not a true gospel, and you are estranged from Christ. You are now spiritually disconnected from Jesus because your dependence on works empties Jesus of his saving power. Not that he loses his saving power, literally, but for you, it doesn't. this is not going to work because you're trusting not in him alone, you're trusting your own efforts. How many of y'all know you can't save yourself? How many of you know God doesn't need your help? That, that's what Paul's trying to say to them. And so you think, Paul said, you've added something vital to the salvation equation. What he's saying to them is you have removed Jesus from the equation by adding works. Because Jesus is saying, no, I'm, this is not how it works, and I'm not going to work with your new plan. And then Paul goes on to say a little bit more. You have fallen from grace. Trying to help Jesus save you destroys his grace. It's no longer grace if works are involved. Once you add works, it kills it. As a matter of fact, the word fallen has the idea of flowers. Sometimes I'll buy Leah flowers. You know, at Valentine's or anniversary or just sometimes I'll buy a rose. Sometimes I'll just bring her roses home. And she loves it. And she'll get a vase and we'll cut them and she'll put them in the vase. And you get that little packet of food, you know, and you pour it in there. And for several days they look so beautiful and they bloom. And I don't know, a week or so goes by and I'll walk in the house and they're not looking too good. They're turning black and petals are falling. And it's at that point I realize they have served their purpose. It's time to throw them out. They're dying. They're withering. 
And that's the word Paul says. When you don't just trust Jesus alone and you add religion and you add works or you try to help God out, what happens is you kill God's grace. It shrivels up and it dies. And what you think is going to save you is not there anymore. Paul said you abandon the one thing that can save your soul. So consequently, several members of these churches bought into this and they went back to adding in Old Testament law. Well, by doing that, what they didn't know is they fell from salvation. They were no longer saved. Now, I'm going to use a word here. They backslid. They backslid. And yes, you have a pastor who believes that you can backslide. I know I pastor a large church, and I know there may be some people here today that maybe theologically you differ with me. I understand that. Bear me out and listen to me today. But I believe you can backslide. They thought they were saved, but they were not right with God because they had slipped back into a life of sin that was clothed with religiosity. And so it is possible to backslide. It is possible for a person who once trusted Jesus for salvation to abandon the faith and return to a life of sin. And I know some people, again, some people don't think this is possible. Uh, the argument, once you're saved, you cannot become unsaved, comes into play here. Or people say, well, if you supposedly got saved and then you fall back into sin, the reality is you never were saved. And I've heard all those arguments. But I have trouble with those arguments, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm just going to be very simple here. Here's a reality. The same God who will not save a man or a woman against their will will not keep that man or woman saved against their will. Think about that. God doesn't save you against your will. You have to humble yourself and accept him. But he doesn't keep you saved against your will. If your will changes, you need to say, I don't want this anymore. I'm tired of this. I want to go back into sin. He doesn't say, well, sorry, you're stuck. You're saved whether you want to be it or not. Meanwhile, you're living like a heathen. Come on, y'all. When you get saved, you change. When you get saved, you're not a heathen anymore. When you start acting like a heathen, you're not saved. Come on, it's common sense. Take your theology all you want, but just common sense. There is a verse in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14. It goes like this. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Let me go backwards with that. I got a lot I want to share today, so y'all just get comfortable. A good man, let's go back. A good man, that, that means a saved person, someone who is trusted in God, in God's grace, saved by faith. A good man is satisfied from above. The, th the things of this world do, aren't, don't satisfy them. Sinful things don't satisfy They find their satisfaction fulfillment in Jesus. How many of you who are saved know what I'm talking about? Right? We find our fulfillment. That's why we don't sin. We don't need sin. Let's go backwards now. But the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. Why did he, why did he or she backslide? Because in his heart, there are some things he wants to do, she wants to say. Some things she wants to get involved in that Jesus says, no, you're not supposed to do that. But in her heart, she wants it so bad that she's made a decision, he's made a decision to turn away from God and go back into those things. The word backslide literally means to go back to retreat, to apostatize or apostatize. It's used to describe when your friends and allies turn on you and forsake you. 
I did some study this week. In the Old Testament, the prophets Jeremiah and Hosea spent a good deal of time in their books, their letters, warning Israel and chastising the nation of Israel for their backsliding. And they use that word a lot, backsliding. Because why? They turned from serving the Lord and living for God and doing what is right and going to idols and living in wicked sin. I mean, they even got to where they were serving Moloch and killing their babies in ritual sacrifice in a fire, which I think is the spirit behind abortion today. And so the prophets would say, you have turned from God. You need to turn back to God. See, when you backslide, you turn from God. When you repent, you turn back to God. While you won't find the word backslide in the New Testament, you will find examples of followers who turned from the Lord and returned to sin. And you all know who the big one is, right? Fits in the week of Easter, Judas Iscariot. Now, I have met people and I've read works where people say Judas was never saved. I have a really hard time with that. Judas was saved. Judas was saved. Judas preached the gospel. Judas cast out demons. Judas healed the sick. Go study the gospels. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And he gave them the power, and they went out. And Judas Iscariot did that. But Judas had a weakness, and it was money, the love of money. And I don't know, for some reason, they thought he would be the best guy to be the treasurer for the Jesus Christ Ministry Association. And they gave him the bag with the donation monies. And I don't know why they did. They gave it to him, but, buddy, he couldn't handle it. And he started taking money out. He was an extortioner. He was putting that money in his own pocket. And the Lord knew about it and still put up with him. How's that for grace? The Lord tried to work on him. But the day came when for what? Money. He betrayed the Lord, 30 pieces of silver. And he backslid. He backslid. He turned away from the the Lord that he trusted for whatever reason He turned from him and went into sin and went back into sin. He's the son of perdition, the son of damnation. But he was saved at one point. You can't tell me otherwise. There's another guy in the Bible. His name's Demas. You may have never heard of him. Demas was a co-laborer with the apostle Paul. You'll read his name in some of Paul's other letters. Demas was saved, loved the Lord. Matter of fact, traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys, preached the gospel, helped Paul plant churches. This guy had it, had it going on with the Lord. But how many of you know in Paul's life, he suffered persecution? I mean, they tried to kill that cat everywhere he went. Tried to stone him. And Demas, by association, experienced that persecution. And he said, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Now, I like the big meetings, and I like planting churches, and I like all this energy. And, man, this is great, and the attention, and all this good work from the Lord. But wait a minute, this is going to cost me my life? Uh Uh-uh, didn't sign up for this. And in the book of 2 Timothy, some of the most sad words in the Bible, Paul is writing, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter before he dies and his head's chopped off. And he writes this, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. He told Paul, "I'm, I'm done with this, and I'm done with God. And he left, and he went back into sin. You can turn away from God. Now, not all backsliders arrive in their condition the same way, and and I've been doing this a long time, and I thought about this. I've seen both of these cases. 
I have seen people that it almost looks like they flip on a dime and just one day decide, you know what, I'm not living for the Lord anymore, and they just go full bore back into sin. They go back into the sin that God saved them from. And I know, again, somebody say, well, that person was never saved. No, I, I'm talking about people that serve the Lord for a long time. And I don't know how that can happen, but sometimes it happens. And let me just say this. If you're struggling with that today, and I don't want to get into debate, I'm an apologetic, but this isn't what this sermon's about. But I had a, I had a conversation with a guy, and our, and our wonderful Baptist brothers and sisters, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them believe, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. I told a fellow one day, I pulled my phone up. I said, if I, if I give you this phone, it's a gift, it's yours, right? He said, yeah. I said, but what if you don't want anymore and you give it back? I said, give it to him. He gave it. I said, you don't want anymore. Is it yours? He said, well, no. I mean, he said, and he, he, was, you know, he didn't know what to say. I said, no, if you give it back, it's not yours anymore. Even if I don't want it and I want you to have it, if you give it back, you don't have it anymore. I said, nobody loses their salvation. Don't ever let anybody convince you, you know, say, you, you believe, people believe you lose your salvation. Like, I always make fun of that. You know, like, I lost, honey, I've lost my salvation. Can, can, can you find it? I, I, where's the last place I left it at? That's, no, we don't lose our salvation. It's, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can give gifts back. It's awful quiet in here. You can say, I don't want this anymore. I've seen people do it. It breaks my heart. It breaks God's heart when it happens. And then I have seen the people that it's been a slow but steady process. They start toying with sin, and then they toy with it a little bit more, and then they make excuses and justify it, and then they hide it, and clothe it with religion. I've seen it right here in this church. Oh, yeah. I got faces and names, and that's the bad part about preaching. Normally, I don't, but right now, I do. People that came to church here each week, smiling and laughing and joking with us, and worshiping in church, and they were living in a lifestyle of sin that they had embraced. They had turned from God. Once they served the Lord, but they had gone back into it. It was a slow process, but eventually they went back into it, and they covered it up. Let me just say this today. I've been very, been very sort of low-key, but I'm going to be strong right here. You can fool the pastor. You can fool the elder. You can fool the deacon. You can fool the church member, but you aren't going to fool God because he already sees your heart and sees your life and knows what's going on. How do we know some of the Galatian church members were backslidden? How, you know, Pastor, are you just making all this up? No, there were signs. And the only reason I know this, that they were backsliding, there were signs, is because Paul tells us what the signs are. And I want to look at these signs because today, and I, I was praying about this last night. I said, God, there may be some people that are backslidden. They need to hear this message. There may be some people that just aren't saved, but they still need to hear this message. There are some people that may be toying with sin. You, you, haven't, you haven't turned from the Lord, but you're being strongly tempted, and you're considering it. And then I thought the church just needs to hear this to warn us. Amen? Just, just to help us to be careful. So how do we know? Paul says they stopped running the race. You ran well, past tense. Not you are running well, you ran well. But you've stopped running. They served the Lord for a time, but they stopped. The Galatians had stopped running towards God and started running away from God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who or what are you chasing after? 
Because if you are pursuing some sin rather than God, if you are disobeying God to fulfill some desire within you, you are backslid. I'm not talking about incidental sins. Everybody here, we all know we have incidental sins, right? You're going to give in a weak moment. You're going to say something, do something. You're going to get mad. You say something you know you shouldn't. At the moment, you immediately you know, I should not have done that. And the Holy Spirit convicts you. What do you do? God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You keep short accounts with God. You don't keep running tabs with God with sin, right? You keep short tabs. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Please help me not to do that again. Okay, I'm not talking about that. Living for Jesus is often portrayed as running a race, and the goal is to complete the race and cross the finish line. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul himself said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't stopped running. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. It's like a runner that's straining to get to the finish line. He said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is to cross the finish line. Let me just preach today with passion in my heart. Y'all, don't let anyone or anything keep you from running after Jesus. Don't let anybody stop you from running. Like Paul, you want to get to the end of your life and be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So keep running. Don't stop running. Keep running. I had a friend of mine that backslid. He, he, he was my friend. Still is. And, and I was an associate pastor. I was at Praise Cathedral. We played a lot of softball together. But he backslid, and he was coming to church, but he was not right with the Lord. And finally one day, I don't remember if it was in an altar or just one-on-one, I looked at him, I called him by name, and I said, I said, listen to me. I said, you used to have your glove on, and you used to be in the field. I said, but I don't know why, but for whatever reason, you've thrown your glove down, and you've walked off the field, you've left the game. But I'm coming here to tell you God's grace is great, and if you'll get back on this field, pick your glove back up and get back in the game. And I don't know, that resonated with him. And that point, he gave his life back to the Lord. And he told me, he said, I picked my glove back up. He said, I'm back in the game. And I don't know why, but sometimes it happens. People will, people will, will deal with you and, and things will happen. Just don't throw your glove down. Keep your glove on and stay in the game. He said, you stop running the race. The second thing he said, he says, you've allowed someone to hinder you from living for Jesus. Who hindered you from obeying the truth, Paul said. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. For the Galatians, it was the Judaizers. Listen now. For you, it might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It might be a college roommate or a professor. It might be a co-worker. It might be a long-time friend. Anybody got a long-time friend? I got a friend in Pennsylvania. When my mom and dad moved us to man's choice, I was like six months old or a year old, something. I was a baby baby. And I've got a friend, and I'm telling my age now, or maybe mom and dad just couldn't afford a, no, I just think that's all there was. I got black and white photos of my baby pictures. Man, that, just, that hurt to say that. That just hurt. But I got a friend of mine. I went to every one of his. You know how y'all take your, your kids to, to the birthday parties? 
He's in every one of my birthday party pictures. And I'm in every one of his birthday party pictures. And he's one of my longtime friends. We call each other to this day. It was February, and we had one of those warm days. And I texted him. I said, I'm in a shorts and T-shirts driving my convertible Mustang around. He texted me back. He said, you got me with the convertible Mustang. Because he's up there in that cold weather. But you can have a longtime friend that's persuading you to not live for Jesus. It could be a false teacher, a preacher on the internet. Pastor Chris, I love you, but I've been, living, I've been listening to this guy on the internet, and I know you tell us we shouldn't do this, but he says it's okay. Watch out. Because you don't know him, but you know me. And he doesn't love you, but I do. And he doesn't know where you live, but I do. And he doesn't care about you, but I do. Amen, Pastor Chris. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on. Be careful who you let persuade you on things. You know, there's such a thing as a good check and balance, right? Someone in your life who stops you from doing wrong. Hopefully it's your wife. All the guys said amen. <laughs> Maybe your husband. A parent. A pastor. A mentor. The church. You know why you ought to be in church? Great place to be accountable. I don't need church. Oh, so you don't need us, huh? What you trying to hide? I need to be nice. I was doing so good, Josh, wasn't I? I was just doing so good up to that point. There are good checks and balances, but you know there are negative checks and balances? Negative checks. People in your life who negatively say, oh, come on, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to do that. Hey, come do this with us. Come get involved in this sinful activity. Come to, I, I know you say you're saved, but you can do it. Don't worry about it. Nobody will know. You can have people in your life who are stopping you from doing the right thing and encouraging you to do the wrong thing. And let me just say, I'm going to do a little bit of my father's preaching right here. And I've preached this before, but there are people who never heard it, and I don't mind preaching it over and over again. You say, but they're my friend. Let me tell you what my dad always said. I heard him say it a, a hundred times. What kind of friend would drag your soul to hell? That's your friend? That's your friend? What kind of friend would pull you into eternal damnation? That's a friend? You need to find some new friends. Listen, you don't like this kind of preaching, just hang on. I'll be done in a little bit. This kind of preaching will get you right with God and get you to heaven. A good preventative to backsliding is surrounding yourself with godly people who help you along in your walk with Christ. And parents, let me just give a little advice. Let the old man give you some advice who's now a grandparent. Man, Bo's going to be seven in a few months. I told him, you can't grow anymore. you got to stay little. You got to be little. I want all my grandkids to stay. I don't want them to grow up. Parents, listen to me. Be careful who you allow your child to play with. Be careful whose houses you let them go to because those parents don't believe like you believe. 
They don't talk like you talk. Your kids may be hearing, saying things, or seeing things they have no business hearing or seeing. Whose house they go to for a sleepover, who they go on trips on. You know what Lee and I did? We did like some of you. We told them they could come to our house. I'll feed them. I'll feed them good. I make a big old batch of spaghetti. Big old bowl of chili. I'll feed them good. But that way I can watch them. I can figure out what kind of kids they are. They're on my turf. That's good preaching. That's good advice, isn't it? Trying to help you parents. Some of you young parents need to listen to the old man. You know, someone has your ear, right? Someone has your ear. Somebody's, somebody's talking in your ear. Someone is persuading you, influencing you. I just came here today, brothers and sisters. Make sure it's someone who has influenced you to live for Jesus. Not pulling you away from the Lord, but getting you closer to the Lord. You know, you may say, Pastor, okay, I love you. I love you, Chris. I, I do. And look, okay, I, you know, okay, I'm doing a little something. I, got a little, I mean, I know, I know. My parents raised me right. And I know what the Bible says, and I've heard you. And I know, I'm doing this, but I, I'm not backslidden. I'm not backslidden. I've got it under control. Some of you are laughing because you've done it. Paul says, I got something to say about that. A little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. Now, leaven is an agent that causes bread or dough to rise. For, for most people today who are bakers, we use yeast. You can go to the store and buy yeast. But, but even biscuits rise. And they don't use yeast. Biscuits have other agents. But you can have other agents. Anybody ever ate a biscuit that was flat as a pancake and hard? That ain't a biscuit. That's hardtack. They give that to sailors back in the 1700s, okay? A real southern biscuit by your grandma is one that's about that big. It's called a cathead biscuit, and it rises three inches. When you pull that sucker open, oh, it's fluffy white all in there. And then when it's hot, you get some butter and honey, and you mix it up real good, and then you start slapping it on there, and it just all melts. Mm. Hallelujah. Ain't nothing spiritual about that, but that sounds good, doesn't it? What time is it? <laughs> Make it rise. And, and all the bakers will tell you, you don't have to take a lot of yeast, just a little bit. And you put it in the dough and then you work it. Right? Y'all tell me, grandmas, if I'm getting this wrong. And then you put in it, I've always seen this, they put it in a bowl and put a wet cloth over it, a dark, damp environment. Am I on? And you let it sit. How long do y'all let it sit? All night? And then the next day, something has happened. That little bit of yeast in the right environment just spreads and permeates the entire ball of dough. And that's how you get that bread to rise. And for Paul, leaven was not a good thing in his little metaphor. It's sin. 
And Paul says just a little bit of sin gets in your whole life. See, I heard a guy preach one time. I went to a, a marriage conference, and he said, y'all going to like this. He said, women are like spaghetti, and men are like waffles. He said, women, everything's interconnected like Lee and I can talk, and she can cover 15 subjects, 10 minutes. But men, we, we have trouble staying focused on, you know, we'll stay on one. We'll talk about cars for two hours. Guns, hunting, duck dynasty. Pick something. We're like waffles, see? Men are like waffles. You ever looked at a waffle? Waffles got all these little compartments. Right? And men, we can only deal with one compartment at a time. Because you women are much more, more intelligent and sophisticated than us. And all the women are saying, we aren't going to disagree with you either. You cannot say, I'll get a little bit of sin in my life, but I'll, I'll put it in my little waffle over here. And I'll pour Jesus syrup on my waffle, but I'll make sure none of him gets in that area. And then I'll have all the Jesus I want and everything else, but I'll have this little area right here. Jesus says, I either get it all, I get none. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Sin will contaminate all of you. A little bit of unrepentant sin will permeate your spirit, your soul, your body. Let me give you three dangerous things. The back, the back screen went out. So I don't know what time it is. I love this. I can just preach as long as I want. Let me give you three dangerous things, three dangerous things. Number one, to open the door of your life to sin. This is some good old-fashioned preaching right here, but sometimes good old-fashioned preaching is needed in the 21st century. You give sin an inch, and it'll take a mile. There is an old saying that says sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you there longer than you meant to stay, and will cost you way more than you were willing to pay. Don't open the door of your life to sin. Second dangerous thing to do, to tolerate a little unrepentant sin. Let me just say this. Be careful if you're making excuses for it. Be careful if you're explaining it away. You get confronted by it and you start making, giving me an explanation why it's okay. And here's the one you better watch. Be careful if somebody points it out and you say, well, you know, I know a few other Christians who do it, and they think it's all right. You're making excuses. It's a dangerous thing to do. Sin is sin. God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says to do it and it's right, it's do it and it's right. Our job is to obey and line our lives up with his will and his word. Here's the third dangerous thing. Well, Pastor, I've prayed about it, and I feel like it's okay. You ever heard that one? I have. 
I've prayed about it, and I felt like it's okay. All right. Your prayer is your words that you use to talk to God that come from your brain. Listen, let's don't be dumb. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's a duck. You're just in your brain working those words and manipulating those phrases, talking you think to God, but what you're really doing is talking to yourself in a spiritual manner to try to make yourself feel better about what you're doing that's wrong. Now, if they ain't calling it out, I don't know what is. Oh, it's so quiet. I wrote in my notes, what you say in prayer is always trumped by what God says in his word. I thought your prayer was supposed to always line up with what God says. That's real prayer. But here's the thing. I know this sounds so negative. Man, this sounds like a downer. I I couldn't wait to get to this part. Okay, backsliding's wrong. Sin's bad. We know all that. But here's what I loved about what Paul wrote. He's the optimist. I'm an optimist. If you're backslidden, there's hope for you. And that's why Paul wrote in verse 10 after just saying, what have y'all done? Y'all have gotten away from God. You've left the faith. You've fallen from grace. You're disconnected from Christ. Y'all are a mess. If you read later in Galatians, he said, I stand in doubt of you. I'm about ready to change my voice because some of you are not, you need to be born again. Read it. He says, until Christ is born in you, some of you, you can just hear the frustration. And yet there is positivity when he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. It's Paul's way of saying, I believe you all are going to come around. He was optimistic that the wayward Galatians would come back to Christ and to the faith that delivered them. I came here today to tell you, if you're away from God, there's hope. I know I'm preaching a while, but I don't, I don't care. The screen's out. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. And I'm almost done. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. And you, you, you probably know these. If you don't, you need to. There's a story of a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And the great thing about all three of the stories is all three of them, they, they, it represents getting away from God. The sheep left the fold. The, coins, the coin left the, uh, the set of coins it was supposed to stay with. The son left the father's house. And what's so beautiful about all three stories is that there was restoration of the sheep and the coin and the son. And that's the beauty of those three stories is if, if you get away from God, that he is a God of a second chance and you can come home. And sometimes the devil will tell you, you've been out too long, you've done too much, they won't let you back in at that church. And some churches may not because of whatever reason, maybe those people aren't whatever, we won't go there. But I'm just telling you at high praises, if you truly repent and you get your heart right with God, what, how can we argue with his grace when that grace has been shown to us time and again? We'll extend our arms like the father in the parable and say, come on home. Come on home. Because that's what God's going to say, come on home. I stand with Paul. There's hope for the backslider. And if you repent and come back to Christ, he will restore you and he'll put you back in the fold. Musicians, you need to come quickly.
There is a pastor by the name of G.E. Patterson. He's dead now. Man, that guy could sing. Black preacher. He was, a, he was an unbelievable guy. could sing. He had a big church. He sang a song that gave me the title for this sermon. I'm going back to Jesus. I'm going back to Jesus. I'm going where the living water flows. I hear my Savior calling. Repentance is a fallen. I'm going back to Jesus, and I must go. And when he got done, he told a little story. He said that there was a couple, husband and wife, riding in a car. They had been married for 35 years. And they were discussing what had happened in the interim of the years. And his wife said, you know, honey, we used to be so close here in the front seat that people couldn't tell if there was one person or two in the car. And she was trying to make him feel responsible because now she was, they weren't sitting like that anymore. And the husband said, now baby, he said, let me remind you of one thing. The car is still configured the same way. And I was driving then and now I'm sitting next to the door to the left and you're sitting next to the door to the right Who moved? And if you're away from the Lord today and you used to be one with Him, who moved? Because He's right where He's always been. And He's still there. And all you got to do is repent and just scoot over and get back next to him and he'll forgive you and wash you and make you one with him again and the sin will be gone and you can walk in that beautiful holy wonderful relationship with him stand with me this morning thanks for listening be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10am for more information or to watch our services online please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.